Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. Being so close to the action, like literally on the baseline and being there to see the expression on her face and to hear the crowd and to just sort of think about it. I mean, I started bawling, like <laughs> I started crying and I just think that moment really sort of summed it all up for me. In this pod, we recap a magnificent FIBA Women's World Cup from last week in Sydney with up-and-coming basketball scribe Fina Newton. Fina began her journey into hoop storytelling as part of the innovative Siren Sport and ABC Emerging Sports Writer Initiative and now freelances for ESPN Australia, the home of hoops for the upcoming WNBL season. After getting a late call-up to be a mobile reporter for FIBA at the Women's World Cup, Fina stood baseline with mobile in hand to capture one of the most storied and successful FIBA Women's World Cups ever. And best of all, to witness at close range the swan song of the GOAT, Lauren Jackson and the resurgence of one of the most successful national sporting teams, our Opals, on home soil. Alongside my co-host Jacinta Govind, we reminisce about what was a truly special time for us all and will no doubt have a lasting impact for kids with ball in hand, but also an almost perfect full circle moment for one of the giants in our sport. It's simply sporting history and we get to share it with you. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host Jacinta Govind is Fina Newton, who was at the World Cup. We're going to be talking World Cup. There's a lot of different things to talk about. First of all, Fina, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. It was great meeting you for the first time at the World Cup as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was so nice to finally put a face to the name. So, look, I, I think for anybody who isn't across what's happening in following journalism and basketball particularly, you were doing a really interesting role in terms of doing reporting for FIBA at the World Cup. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, yeah, it was actually sort of last minute. I had informed ESPN Australia that I was going to the World Cup and that's who I freelance for. And then a couple weeks later, um, one of my editors got in touch with me and said that FIBA Media had been looking for someone to help with their socials at the World Cup and he'd given them my details and I was like, okay, like, sure, that sounds good. I didn't really know anything. And then I got in contact, uh, someone from FIBA Media got in contact with me and it all happened really quickly. Like it was less than maybe 72 hours that I sort of had multiple phone calls or Zooms with people from across the globe uh, and just a bit more information on what I would be doing 
at the World Cup. And yeah, I just wanted to make sure that it was something that I wanted to do and that I, I felt comfortable doing. But yeah, basically from there, like maybe a week or two in the lead up to the World Cup, I was just getting organised and learning about the role and whatnot. But basically, yeah, they just said they wanted someone to be a mobile reporter, so a local, which technically I'm not because I'm from Melbourne, but um, I was a local for the World Cup. (laughs) Um, And they said they wanted a local to just use their iPhone to record footage, do some interviews and whatnot. Uh, And my understanding of it was that it would be going to social media, like for use, for social media use. But yeah, I didn't know too much, to be honest, but it sounded like a cool gig. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really amazing that you got that opportunity. And it's it's great to see that, that opportunities like that are being given to people, you know, especially an event like the World Cup. I mean, I think we all had a very different view of the World Cup because of the different things that we were doing. So I'll throw over to you, Jacinta. First up, you were doing quite a few things at the World Cup. There was volunteering. You had a role with Molten. We did a live podcast as well. So give us a rundown on what you were doing there. I was doing uh, pretty much as much as you can possibly do without being a player or referee or score bench, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like you said, I was spectating, volunteering, I had an opportunity to do some cool stuff with Molten um, after I got named one of the Molten female local champions, which is a new initiative that they have started and that they plan to implement. They felt like it was successful enough in Sydney because we were the first ones, so they're planning to implement it at the other, not just um, FIBA Women's World Cup but also the Qualifier World Cup. So hopefully they'll definitely do that and then they're going to try and link all the female champions from around the world somehow so I'm looking forward to being a part of that hopefully that will happen but I I was volunteering in media operations which meant it sounds a lot more uh responsibility well it was still kind of high responsibility once you got the swing of the things but it sounded a lot more technical than what it was but essentially we just look after any of the media outlets sitting in the Tribune, but they looked after themselves. We kept an eye on the photographers to make sure that they were in the right places at the right times. We looked after the journalists in the media room as well in the press conferences, and that also was very easy. It was just a matter of giving out some meals or handing out microphones to people so they can ask, you know, the likes of Paul Gasol a question <laughs> in a press conference. <laughs> <Dina>. <laughs> Look, I was happy to be there. And you guys had a moment. I saw it. But I'll back you up. Okay, whoever tell that story. I was there. I They're not going to believe me. They're going to think I'm being dramatic or something. Yeah, no. Tell them to give me a buzz because I'll back you up. Uh, and then we also got to take the players and the coaches to the press conference and back from the change room. So that was really cool because I got to see little things. Like I got to stand next to Yao Ming and I got to see how one of the Chinese players Um, went to a press conference and in that time her teammates had organised a birthday cake and candles in the change room um, while she was at the press conference as a surprise. And I got to see little things like that. Uh, I got to see how actually one of the media guys from the Canadian team, I watched him shoot a whole bunch of footage from the court 
And then, you know, he's standing up on a laptop, putting all these socials and graphics together before they go, he goes to the press conference. So just seeing how people operate like that in, in that environment was really cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell us a bit more about, about the Molten Local Champions. So um, my general manager from Central Coast Basketball sent through an application form and we had to fill out a few questions. They were quite hard questions, to be honest. Um, had to fill out a few questions basically outlining what our role is or how we participate in female basketball in our local community, um, the things that we would like changed, the things that we think are barriers and uh, to increase participation and other things, you know, other plans and goals that we perhaps had for um, our local female basketball community. So I spoke about things about how I'm involved with coaching and mentoring and broadcasting. I kind of drew some inspiration from things that Jan Sterling has said in the past about creating different pathways in basketball associations other than playing, refereeing and coaching for females so they can stay involved. So if that's in sports administration or social media or marketing or broadcast or something like that. And I think I also wrote about limited access to resources and spaces. So I know that basketball is still a rapidly growing sport in Australia and we've touched on it in a previous episode, especially in New Zealand, but the um, supply and demand aren't kind of uh, in equilibrium at the moment. So I think that's what I mostly wrote about um, for my application. And then the prize included three nights in a hotel, which was mint (laughs) <laughs> because it meant that I get to stay, I got to stay next to the athletes. So, you know, walking into the Novotel and just seeing Team USA and the French team and the Opals all like, you know, it was like living in the Olympic Village for three days. It was wild. Uh, then we got to go to the Women's Forum that was held by FIBA and that was excellent, probably one of the best forums I've ever been to. And then to top it off, we got invited to go to the Opals reunion lunch and we were guests of Michelle Timms. And Robin Ma and Tom Ma were also on our table and Tom Ma <laughs> introduced himself as Robin's husband, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> that is so Tom. Oh, my God. What was that? And I was oh. like, oh, I, I said, you know, I'm pretty sure you uh, have contributed a bit more to basketball than just Robin's husband. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was a whirlwind. Then we got free tickets. We got VIP tickets to like six games. We got to access the VIP lounge, which was great because it meant I got free food and wherever there's free food, I'm there. And, yeah, then we got to shoot on the court at the end of one of the Opals games and I hit a three ball on the main court. So oh, that wow. really topped it off for me. Man, it was. It sounds like you had a, a real blast. I know for me, being there, covering it from a media standpoint and getting material for the podcast – but also I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, we went and my daughter came with us and just the excitement on her face, watching these athletes on the floor, uh, it's just, it's priceless. It really is. You can see the, the level of inspiration that the players, that all all the athletes give to young girls. It's just, it's one of those opportunities that 
that literally comes around, you know, in some instances just once in a lifetime, but the impact is so significant. Obviously, she was pretty buzzed that she got an opportunity to catch up with Belinda Snell, who she hasn't seen for a few years from the time that she was playing here in Sydney. And, you know, she was, I'm actually not sure who was more excited, whether it was Eliza, you know, catching up with Snelly again or Snelly just kind of, wow, you've grown so much because it's been so many years since since they saw each other. But that stuff was just, it, it's a sort of thing that happens that Eliza's going to remember forever, you know. And I think events like this are fantastic for doing that for young kids. And the other thing that really stood out for me, like you, Jacinta, was the forum. It was, it was one of the best forums of its type that I've ever been to. I think all the speakers were great. What I was really impressed with was the insight it gave us into what FIBA's looking at doing for women's basketball going forward. They've really got a plan, which is great to see. And they're not just, you know, saying, oh, here's our plan. They've actually said, you know, we're going to expand the World Cup. It's going to go to 16 teams. We're going to have uh, a secondary tournament with the next 16 teams to be able to build them up. So I think all of that was just just putting it all together made this such an amazing experience. If you had to pull one out of the 10 days, what's the one thing for each of you that stands out as the biggest? And I know that is a really tough call because I've been thinking about that one myself and I'm really struggling with it also. Jacinta, you go first. I think the only the other highlight I was going to mention uh, when you mentioned, Paul, the importance of having the FIBA Women's World Cup in Sydney and the impact it's had on future female ballers, um, you know, like Eliza, I think a really strong highlight for me and maybe possibly the best because it was quite pleasing and also surprising is the same night where we got to shoot on the court with Moulton, they actually took us down um, to the mix zone where we were supposed we were in a good position to get a bunch of stuff signed by the Opals, but that particular night they said they weren't allowed to stop and talk to fans, which is fair enough. But while we were standing there, we were talking to some other young fans. Like they were only 11 and 12 years old. They had the official Fever merch on, their face painted. They could tell me easily who their favourite player was. And surprisingly, their favourite player, only surprising based on their age, they still said their favourite player was Lauren Jackson. And so I thought that was really interesting and kind of cool because it just shows not only Lauren Jackson's impact on our generation and obviously the fans, you know, the older fans that would have watched or um, attended the FIBA World Cup, but that just shows that how, like, transgenerational Lauren Jackson is and how much of an impact that she is. So I thought that was a bit of a highlight to have an 11-, 12-year-old girl say that someone like Lauren Jackson was still her favourite player. Yeah, it's, and we'll get into that a little bit because the impact that Lauren Jackson had on these games, I think, has been pretty, pretty amazing. But yeah, Fina, what was the one big one for you? Well, I mean, I'm not sure whether I should say something different to Jacinta, but it happens to be <laughs> a sort of Lauren Jackson moment as well. I mean, I could pick two, but I'll, I'll go with this one because I think it might be more relatable to everyone. But I think it was honestly the moment that LJ got subbed off at the end of the bronze medal match because she just, in that moment, I almost felt 
everything that she'd given to the sport, everything that this tournament had meant for the sport and for the Opals, and also just everything it meant to me. Like it was just this sort of like very overwhelming feeling about how grateful I was to her and the immense gratitude I just felt to all the players there in just inspiring lots of little girls but one little girl in particular so long ago and I suppose I thought I I have met her before but I suppose I never thought I'd be able to see her play live especially in the green and gold because I was too young back then but I think being so close to the action like literally on the baseline and being there to see the expression on her face and to hear the crowd and to just sort of think about it. I mean, I started bawling, like (laughs) I started crying and I just think that moment really sort of summed it all up for me. I mean, often you can just get caught up in sort of life and thinking, I don't know, things are all mundane and whatnot and I think at that moment, and maybe perhaps I was taking it a little for granted throughout the 10 days of working there because I just got so used to seeing so many famous women athletes. And then in that moment, it just hit me. And I think I was just so eternally grateful to her. And it was just so, it was, I didn't think she could inspire me anymore, but she did in that moment. And I just thought, yeah, this is something I'm never, ever, ever going to forget. Yeah, it's that last game was just was just amazing, and you could actually sense the emotion coming from the whole crowd, you know. Mm. But in in terms of that emotion, one of the standouts for me was after that bronze medal game, when the players were going out and they were being held up at you know the, the press area for the interviews. I got to see quite a few of them. They, they were just sort of talking. They they weren't really recognising the fact that people were looking at them and the number of players that as they were talking, they were so happy and then they just burst into tears, you know, and you really got a sense of the emotion that they were feeling for getting that bronze medal. I mean, there was – I honestly felt from the point that they hit the floor that there was a real – you know, and I, and I know it's overused, but there was a real vibe about the, the way the team was playing. Mm-hmm. They, I don't think there was a real lot of doubt, no matter how the scoreline was looking early in the game, that, mm. that they were going to win. Yeah. And you could also then see the emotion down there amongst the other people, uh, you know, as the coaches were going through and everybody else, some of the, even some of the commentary team that were kind of sitting off the side who'd finished their bit and they were just there, you could see some of them were tearing up as well. So I also don't think that we can underestimate how important that game was for women's basketball and the Opals from this point going forward. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I think it was funny. I went to the mix zone after the game and I hadn't had any specific requests from Fever Media to interview anyone or anything like that. But I just sort of stood there and watched them all do their interviews because I just, I didn't want to stop watching them. I was just so in awe and 
I, I literally just stood there and watched them all do their interviews. And I think Lockie from the pick and roll was standing next to me ready to do an interview. And he saw me tearing up and he's like, you got to stop crying. Otherwise I'm going to start going again. And like, <laughs> it was just funny to me that like, I mean, I suppose in the moment I could see there were a couple people around me that were tearing up as uh, Lauren got subbed off. But it was funny to see, well, not funny, but awesome to see how large an impact she had on everyone, no matter who they were. And it was the perfect, like, you could not write a perfect ending to her story as an opal. Mm -hmm. Like, she just kicked into gear and obviously she was given more time but she was given more time because what she was doing was working so you Mm. leave someone on the court right yeah but just like I was sitting I was watching that game with some of my best friends who I met through basketball so I'm happy that I got to share the moment with them and it just got to a point in the game where I'm like guys she's up to 12 and now she's up to 16 and it just kept clocking and I was like oh wow 20 point game Mm. 30 point game later I never would have expected that she no. – I know that she was definitely capable of, but never would have expected that her swan song would be a 30-point game to help the Opals win a bronze medal. And the the emotion that you're both talking about, it's kind of reassuring that it's not just me that kind of gets too invested in this stuff, but <laughs> um, that so many other people do. And I think that's just a testament to, A, how much this team meant to people, but also how much that story – the lot of the last 12 months coming from Tokyo and flipping the script to mm. getting a bronze medal at a world cup with a new team on home soil with the goat back into the roster. I mean, what an incredible story. And I think the, the, I hope anyway that the bronze medal for all of the Opals was the com- like utter epitome of validation mm. and redemption for them because they worked their bums off on and off the court to get there. So I hope that they're super proud because we all are. So I think the emotional response that everyone felt was that investment in how much we knew this mm. team had put in to make sure that they got the result they deserved. Yeah, especially after, I mean, we've obviously been lucky enough to get a little peek into what happened in the aftermath of Tokyo from talking to Tolo and Kayla. And that gave us a really good, it gave us an indication of how they felt afterwards. And there was no doubt, you know, coming into this World Cup that the team had unfinished business and they were going to, they weren't going to back down. And a great example of that is that that China game. Mm. You know, that game literally could have gone either way, right, right down to the dying seconds. This was a team that was not going to give up no matter what happened. And also the fact that there were new faces in that team as well who all contributed to getting that result. Yeah, I think what people need to understand as well, you know, obviously reading a lot of things online, a lot of everyone puts their opinion, including us online, of how things are going and um, analysis of the game and whatnot. And I think what the wider audience and fans need to understand is that regardless if you're playing three minutes or 30 minutes, everyone has a role to play. And if it's three minutes or 30 minutes, you contribute in that time and it's still just as important as anyone else. So a lot of the armchair critics, you know, saying people like Darcy Garvin and Sarah Blissars, you know, oh, their time must be up if they're not really getting a lot of court time. It's like, no, no, no. no. They go on for that period of time for a certain job. They do the job, they come off. Yep. And it's just as important as anyone else's job. Yeah. That's right. And I think and that they was all actually... Have... Oh, sorry, you go, Paul. 
No, no, go, go on, Fina. I actually think that depth of the Opals team at the World Cup was crucial to the, their success. Like every single game, any of the 12 players could have a game for themselves and for the team and do something really important that would help the team. And I think that is just what kept the energy alive and the hope alive because obviously after the first game everyone was probably feeling a little bit worried like oh no is this maybe going to be a repeat of Tokyo and then I just think it didn't matter how long someone got on court they were just so excited to be there and so grateful to be there that they just focused on the job and did the best they could at the time and I think that was just really really crucial to the Opal's success because I think in the past it hasn't been like that. Yeah, and I also think that one of the other things that our armchair critics keep forgetting is that just because you've got one player who does well against Team A, that doesn't mm. necessarily mean they're going to be a good matchup against Team B. You know, mm. there's no point in saying they had a blinder of a game last one against whoever it was. Why aren't they in this game? Because you know what? the matchup might not be right. And yeah. so therefore, you know, the coach makes the decision that needs to be made against that particular team. And I think, I mean, look, everybody is entitled to their opinion, but I think there are some corners, particularly in social media, where they just take it that one step a little bit too far. Mm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But also I've got to give credit to Sandy, the adjustments she made this tournament compared to Tokyo with her rotations. Sometimes mm-hmm. she didn't have great combos on the court, but she adapted really quickly. And when she recognised that a combo was working, she stuck with that combo without mm. chopping and changing and too much. And playing particular people who, you know, had the obligation to play them big minutes. But this time, which I felt she did in Tokyo, but this time I feel like she just stuck with what was working. And like you said, Fina, the Opals were deep and there's lots of people online who will say, we need a three-point shooter. We need – a lot of the call is we need more shooters. It's like, no, but everyone on that team can shoot a three. It's just given on any given day who's the person who's going to be lucky enough to be hot that day. I mean, Sammy was hot one game and she wasn't hot other games. And then Sarah Mm. Blissars was hot some games and then she wasn't hot other games. That's what gives that team so much depth. Um, They're not relying on one or two people. Everyone can be a scorer and a threat. And I also think that everyone on the team was given the confidence to be a scorer and a threat. It wasn't like you just have to give it to Sammy or you just have to give it to Ezzy or something like that. It was if you are open or if you have an opportunity, you take it. And that was necessary for us to win. And I think I could just... Well, I don't know. I don't know everything that happens behind closed doors. But it just seemed that for once, although in a very highly competitive environment, it was one team and everyone just had the utmost respect and confidence in one another. And they knew they shared the same goal. And at the end of the day, whoever it was that was going to be hot that night, they were happy Mm. for that person. And I think that really made a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, just talking about that, you know, in the first couple of games that we had in the pool round, you know, Ezzy, for example, didn't quite play to the level that we know that she can play to. She just seemed a little bit out of sorts. But, you know, I think the adjustments that Sandy made, as you said, Jacinto, were good ones. 
and she was given the opportunity and she came back really strong as we started to go <laughs> further on. Whether it was a confidence thing, whether it was a you know, title, who, who knows? But the fact that it wasn't a case of, oh, well, you know, she hasn't been playing to the, the sort of level that we expected, so we're just going to bench her, didn't happen. It was like, we have faith that you'll be able to play to your level, mm-hmm. and which, you know, quite often doesn't necessarily happen. You know, and I'm not just talking about the Opals, I'm just talking generally as well. And I think one of the other ones was, was Maley, you know, first time World Cup, first time at that level of competition, and she was given the opportunity to take the shots that she wanted to take. Some did, some didn't. But I don't think it was it was a case of, hey, you know, oh, you haven't done what we want, we're just going to pull you out. I think that was part of that we're trying to build you up or build up the, the younger players as well because we're looking to build a long-term Opal squad. We have a core. We have new members coming in. Those new members will become the core eventually. And so I think there was a lot of that going on through this tournament also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I I felt that particularly uh, regarding Christy Wallace. I felt well, everyone is aware that this Opals team didn't really have a true point guard and that everyone sort of had to step into that role. And this sort of being Christy's, well, not 100% sure on this fact, but her first time with this team because of all of her other commitments and whatnot, I felt that they really got behind her. Like, I'm a bit biased, but I think being point guard is the hardest job on the court. And I think that when you're not used to it, and especially at a World Cup event, it can be very daunting and whatnot. And I really felt that everyone got behind her when she had to play those minutes and she had to play those minutes because we did rely on Talbot and Whitcomb and they can't play 40 minute games every game for 10 days straight. Like that's ridiculous. And so she really did have an important role when she went on court to play point guard. And I think everyone sort of took that into account and rather than sort of being disappointed if she made a mistake or um, you know, got a tech foul or something like that. Like everyone got behind her and really just encouraged her and reinforced that she could do it and that, that she was doing a good job. And I think for me that was like really good to see. I mean, I was quite close to the action, so I really could sort of see it from the whole team. And I just thought that is going to be really good going forward because confidence is such an important thing to have and in such a competitive environment and it can get lost so easily with people competing against one another and whatnot. But in here at this World Cup, I just didn't see that being an issue. You just touched on something that really interesting, the number of games that were played in a short space of time. That was, you know, I thought that was just such a punishing schedule, and I'm sure everybody was really glad there was that rest day. Yeah, I definitely was. <laughs> I wasn't even <laughs> that rest day was one of my biggest days. That was the day of the women's forum and then the Opal oh, yeah. uh, reunion lunch, and then Molten took us out to dinner. That was like my one of my biggest days, but there was no rest for the wicked for me. <laughs> you had to spend the well, day telling slept all that day. Oh, yeah, I, you know, it makes sense as to why now I've come home and I've gone to bed at 8 o'clock each night since I've been home 
and yeah. was falling asleep after lunch yesterday because <laughs> no no rest for me. Um, but the I ran into um, the Opal's uh, trainer actually, who's part you know part of the Opal staff, Brent Gorris, and he's you know Paul's brother. So it's pretty cool to have. I knew, I knew they were brothers. <laughs> Yeah, think of a coincidence. Otherwise, yeah, yeah no, 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 definitely brothers. <laughs> Goris isn't a very common name either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But how cool also to spend the Opal's experience, you know, especially in the last 12, 18 months with your brother. That would be amazing. But Brent was saying, well, yeah, when I caught him really quickly, he was also speaking about the really tight schedule and he said it's, it's grueling to have one game a day and remember as well that they still have small training sessions or shoot-around sessions because they still have to go and learn the scout for the next game too. So it's not yeah. just like wake up, have your pre-game meal, do your rituals, go and play. You still have to watch film, go and learn their plays, learn the scout, have a shoot-around and then go play. And the Opals were mostly playing at 8.30 at night because of the TV broadcast Mm. which yeah. meant that the game was going to finish at 10, 10.30. And, you know, everyone's in bed by then, um, <laughs> yeah. especially if you're, well, uh, you know, assuming especially if you're an elite athlete because, you know, you've got a whole day of training the next day. Ideally, you don't want to be going to bed at like 11 because then you've got to wind down. But uh, mm-hmm. Brent did say that the Opals were on top of their recovery. They were very well disciplined with recovery and nutrition. So I guess that worked in their favour in the end too because the likes of Sammy and Steph Talbot, that was like they insane. were playing a lot of minutes. Yeah. And um, they just must have been running on adrenaline and determination and desperation by that bronze medal match, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how they did that, especially not to mention the physical fatigue, but the mental fatigue as well. Mm. Like, I just I don't yeah. know how. Brent must be very good at his job is all I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to – I'm guessing he's going to stay in that role as long as he likes because he must be really, really good at his job. Yeah. But the physicality, like you said, Fina, of this competition was outstanding in a sense that I don't think I've seen a women's tournament that physical yeah. ever. I mean, there's a lot mm. of photos by our friend Jeff Tripp especially from that first game against France where mm. Kayla George is going up to score and she literally has two French players with both hands like pretty much pinning her down and yeah. it was yeah. a no call. And so when you see all the people saying, oh, you know, Opals need to make their shots, they need to learn how to shoot. They need to... And I'm like, you got to understand that. They're basically being slapped in the face when they're shooting. Yeah. That's a pretty t- tall order. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And unless the camera's really close, got really close up on them when that's happening, if you're just watching it from the sideline camera, you don't actually realise exactly how physical it is getting at, at that level. Because you're sitting at home, you're watching it on, on your, your big flat screen, and everybody's the size of a Lego person, right? Yeah. You, you literally can't see how much body banging is going on. Um, I see it's and the only time you do get to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the danger zone, girl. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I say I fear, but really I was like, come, come. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a baller yourself, aren't you? So no, I know. And, and if you ask still- anyone I play with or against, they'd say I'm very physical. So I don't hide from it. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, like, Paul, like you were saying, um, 
in that first few games, I noticed Talbot and Ezzy in in particular hit the ground hard multiple mm. times, like a lot. I, I thought, like, you do one of those and I'm out. <laughs> like, yeah. they just get back up and have to keep going. And then they had so many more games after that. But it was just, I mean, I think. You can always sort of imagine watching it, but being so close for me, I could hear it. I could almost hear the pain. I could feel when Ezzy's back hit the hardwood, I could feel it too. And it just, I was like, how? How are you continuing with this physicality? And, I mean, I like to think I'm pretty good at just pushing through the pain, but with that many games in that many days, I don't know how they did it, and I'm very, very, very impressed (laughs) And I think one of the one of the games where it was really physical, and not only physical but also the pace of the game was really hard. Was that game against China? Mm. The Absolutely. both teams were pushing hard for forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. No one, no one got comfortable in that game at all. It was kind of the the game went as I expected. To be honest, I knew it was going to go down to the wire. I knew it was going to be an arm wrestle for the whole forty minutes, and. I wasn't surprised to see either team be uncomfortable for the whole game. Like neither team were comfortable in their half-court sets. No shot came easy. Uh, that was mm. the one game where people were texting me saying, the Opals need to make their shots. And I was like, yeah, look, you need to perhaps learn a little bit more about international basketball and be a little mm. bit fairer on the Opals in this situation where it is completely it's physical, uncomfortable, high intensity for a long time. Nothing gave in that game. But, yeah, that yeah. is probably the prime example of <laughs> that level of physicality <laughs> and how disruptive it can be to someone's offence. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, it's not just the physicality and the intensity, but the play. you weren't the only one and the rest of us weren't the only one to think that it would go down to the wire. The players probably knew that too and so, therefore, that's extra pressure on them knowing that each shot really counts and like when you look back now it's easy to think Tolo missed a couple of easy layups Kayla missed one easy one and you just think gosh from afar you think wow how the hell did you miss that but when you think about it in the context of the game that pressure (laughs) is so high yeah that's a really good point like holding on to that almost sense of like panic and urgency so when you did get a, a clear shot you were so tense that that's yeah. why it's kind of missing. That's a re- actually a really yeah. good point, Fina. I think one of the other things I want to touch on is the Steph Talbot and the All-Star 5. <laughs> it was – I know there was a little bit of commentary flying around on social media. I'm not going to name names. Reward. <laughs> <laughs> Who may have suggested that she wouldn't make it. Um, <laughs> he won't mind me name dropping, like <laughs> dropping him in it because he knows it's in jest. I commented on his tweet just saying, How dare you? <laughs> I missed it. What was his tweet? How did I miss this? Uh, I think Roy tweeted something like, You know, he feels like Steph is going to be edged out of the All Star Five by another Chinese guard. Oh, okay. And I just yeah. wrote, How dare you? <laughs> Damn, I'm going to go back and find that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But he, he knows I'm joking, though, so. <laughs> but I think the roar that came up from the crowd for that one was as big as the roar that went up for Lauren Jackson after the tournament as well. Yeah. No, I think Steph was 
Really awesome and amazing to watch. And I, I felt this for sort of the entire team, but I think maybe particularly for her and especially um, in regards to the All-Star 5, her mental resilience and, like, the mental resilience of the entire Opal squad, just how often does someone win an All-Star 5 award after starting not very well in the first two games of the tournament? I'm, she would admit this. I actually heard her admit it. <laughs> she did not do well the first two games. And I think there's a quote, I'm not sure who got it exactly, but for the third game she told Sandy that, like, she's back, she's ready to go or something like that. And I just think with all the weight and expectations on your shoulders, uh, you haven't performed how you expected to, how you were hoping to personally, and then just realising how much your team needs you to do well, you just come out and perform at a ridiculous level and, you know, near triple doubles, just the most amazing steals, finishes, defense, uh, particularly stepping up when Becca Allen couldn't play and she's also someone of a similar size and capability. I just think it was just amazing. I was so in awe of her and I was really, really, really happy when she won All-Star 5 because I just thought not often does someone get rewarded for doing those sorts of things. Like, no, she didn't have a big 30-point game or uh, you know, 20 points, 10 rebound game or something like that. But I think what she did contribute was so important, not just as one player, but for her entire team. And so I'm so glad she got rewarded for that in the end. She just did everything. <laughs> I've I've been a big fan of Steph for a while, um, purely or mostly because she uh, of her defense. Because when I and her rebounding, because when I used to play, I used to pride myself on good defense and, and rebounding. So. That's why I like to follow some of those similar players, obviously being more successful than what I was. But um, <laughs> she just did a bit of everything, this comp. Like she actually, I, I looked up before we started recording, she actually ended the tournament with the highest number of assists for the tournament wow. with 42 over the eight games. And so her average, you know, she wasn't, I think she was only fourth on the ladder of assists per game average, but because she played more games than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had 42 for the whole tournament, and that included some games where she had eight and nine. And the game against, I'm th- yeah, I think it was the game against Japan, she had nine assists and seven of them were in the first half. Like it's just yeah. outstanding. Like she had to play, you know, she's typically, what, a, a three, maybe sometimes yeah. a four, depending what league she's playing in, and then she had to play a little bit of point, and then, you know, she's acting like a point guard with that many yeah. assists under her belt. She just yeah, did a bit I of everything. Like a point guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you said, Fina, her complete focus throughout the whole game, the only time she would probably waver is sometimes, you know, she'd just say to the ref, look, come on, that wasn't a foul. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then she'd just kind of carry on with it. She was so, so focused and uh, very task orientated that whole competition. For her to be rewarded with All Star Five was just cherry on top for me. And uh, mm-hmm. I, like, it, it probably got to, like, at least the quarterfinal where I was quite confident. I was like, surely she's going to get All-Star 5. Mm-hmm. I couldn't see anyone who was that consistent yeah. um, throughout the rest of the tournament. So I'm really stoked that she got All-Star 5. Yeah, and I think especially after that China loss, like, I was right there on the Opal side of the court when they were doing their cool down. 
And I tried to take a photo of it. I didn't get a very good one. Someone from the age or something got a better one. But the look of pain and agony and, like, frustration, disappointment on her face and just body-wise, I just felt I wanted to go give her a hug. Like, it was just (laughs) – and, like, everyone who plays sport or basketball or anything else will understand that sort of pain. Not all of us get to play at a World Cup or Olympics and whatnot, so it's a bit different. But it just, my first thought was, wow, how are they going to come back from this tomorrow? And obviously in the bronze medal match, they looked amazing and I was like, wow. But at the time I just thought there's going to be so much going through her head. I don't know how she's going to combat that. And obviously her physical fatigue as well. I don't know how she's going to combat that to continue. And then she just did. And I was like, okay, yeah, give her MVP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I was talking to a couple of people in the media tribune and they, they were saying, geez, this is a tough call. Who are you going to put in there? Yeah. But everybody was like, oh, yeah, Steph Talbot. Yeah. You know. The other ones, like for every every choice you thought you had, there was like four other options that mm. you could go, yeah, that's a possibility as well. But it was, I think that was the one choice that I don't think anybody would have argued about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think almost, it's, almost yeah, everybody. It's, it's funny, <laughs> um, in classic FINA form, I didn't read the survey properly and I didn't see that it said pick five people and I picked about 20 Um, (laughs) and then I tried to submit it and it wouldn't let me and I was like oh I have to cut people but I was never going to cut Steph because I just thought yeah no she's (laughs) such an unsung hero of the Opals program as well like if you look at that team on paper you know she's not really a household name yet Mm. it's names Mm. like Ezzy and Kayla um and even obviously LJ but even Sammy Whitcomb those are yeah. the names that are more household names and those are the names yeah. that probably women's basketball fans would expect. So for Steph to like really, you know, claim her territory of one of our best players, I was really, yeah. really happy with that. That's just the, the accolades that she deserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is everybody getting ready to start booking tickets soon as they figure out where the next one's going to be held? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Even I'm the- getting ready for Paris as well because I can't <laughs> miss out on this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Even the um the tournament of the next 16, you know, ranked that qualifies 16 to 32, I'm really keen to know where that is and what teams are going to be playing as well. Yeah. Yeah. That one could be really interesting. I reckon there will be some really interesting teams in that group. One team I just want to ask about because they came up a little while ago, Japan. Mm. I was really surprised by Japan. I just don't know what happened there because not that long ago when they were here for the friendlies, which weren't really all that friendly, let's <laughs> be honest, right, they were playing a completely different game. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think they looked incredibly strong in that friendly series and I almost sort of forgot about them a bit at the World Cup because they just weren't, standing out and they they just didn't seem to be playing the same style of game like you said and I think yeah it was a little disappointing to be honest they just didn't seem to really get going Mm. yeah it was the one team that really surprised me because I was 
I was actually thinking that, you know, Japan's going to give people a real run for their money, as they normally do, because they've got such a, a dynamic style of play. Yeah, it was really odd to think that Japan came fifth. I mean, sure, we were all in the death group together, but to say that Japan came fifth out of six in a group, that's, you know, kind of unheard of, especially after the result in Tokyo. And like you said, Paul, they were looking really good at the friendlies, but yeah, it just didn't really click for them, I don't think. They definitely weren't shooting, uh, well, I don't think. It felt like they weren't shooting as high a percentage as we know that they can. Mm. And I'm really surprised that they didn't trap as much as, as we know them for. So, I mean, yeah. the friendlies against the Opals in May this year really exposed our weakness of, you know, our backcourt and how we deal with traps. So I thought that's going to be a, <laughs> a mm. definitely, you know, other people around the world. Competitors around the world are going to be like, right, we're just trapping the Opals. Yeah. Japan's going to trap everyone. I yeah. don't think I saw them trap very much at all. No. Yeah, they didn't. I didn't notice that at all either, and that's a really good point because they really did show Australia's weakness in mm. that friendly series. So for them to not jump back on that was interesting to see. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing that was interesting just from the draw and the pools was – China, because of the pool they were in, looked a lot more unbeatable than they really were. Because, mm. you know, before we played them, France pushed them, you know, and that was a weak, when I say a weak French team, they were missing some players. Yeah. Yet for two or three quarters, they really pushed them and then they just ran out of steam. Yeah. So I think and there's not a lot you can do about it, but the makeup of the pools made it really interesting in the way we were looking at the relative performances. Mm-hmm. We were kind of looking at it and go, oh, wow, this, this is going to be a really tough team. But then against France, I was looking at China going, hang on a minute, based off of that performance, they're definitely beatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, guess that's the downside of having, uh, of being in a group where you're going to win games relatively comfortably. The downside being you're not going to be really tested mm. or under any pressure until you get to the the crossovers, which can be dangerous. So mm. I think it was kind of lucky in a way that China were tested by France so then they could prepare for Australia and, and the US a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, that could ultimately could have been their downfall as well, you know, having the one true test against France in a quarters. It could have, could have gone France's way and then China would, would be out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so out of the teams that didn't medal, which ones do you guys think are the teams that have a good good potential for Olympics to be able to improve? Good question. Mm. Um, to improve, I mean, Puerto Rico did a lot better than I expected, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I went on the record on another podcast saying that they wouldn't win a game and they won at least two, so... That's another slice of humble pie for me, <laughs> which often happens here at Shooting the Breeze. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all of us get it. I mean, I, I was actually really concerned about how, how badly we messed it up for the World Cup at one point. Oh, yeah, look. It, it was, you know what? I remember saying to, I'm pretty sure, if not both of you, at least one of you during the first few days of the World Cup, I remember just thinking everything I thought I knew about basketball is wrong. <laughs> yeah, because everything I predicted and thought about and said leading into the World Cup was just a lot of it was disproven within two days. And I was like, oh, my God, I should just go back 
to learn to play. So I obviously don't know anything. It was so embarrassing, but <laughs> I guess that's just World Cup international basketball, right? But yeah. I well, feel like Puerto Rico wrong. Like it's not like you said they were good and they were bad, that you said they were bad and they were good. <laughs> <That> was good. <laughs> Positive. <laughs> Yeah, that's, you know, that's great. You proved me wrong. Maybe they heard me and, and took offence and that's... Maybe you're a motivational speaker, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to motivate you with negative reinforcement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Works for some people. <laughs> uh, but I, I think they were onto a really good thing. They played really well together. I think they had a couple of new pieces in their roster that made a big difference. I'm excited to see what happens with Puerto Rico and... Their story, uh, you know, getting a second chance to come to the World Cup because Russia pulled out, then, you know, lots of stuff going on for them at home where I think some of their facilities mm. and um, homes and things were devastated by natural disaster, but their government still foot the bill and made sure that they came. I think that's really special. But, yeah, I think they're going to be really, really interesting. I hope they uh, keep the momentum going towards Paris. Yeah. I think maybe... France or Serbia for me. I think I was really, really impressed with how France played without, is it Marine Johansson or something? I'm not sure how to mm-hmm. pronounce it. Marine Johannes. Uh, Johannes. I thought, I don't know how to say her last name, Fotouz, uh, the point oh, guard. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah, how she stepped up into that role at only like 21 um, and how important she was to the French team. I thought, wow, like, I was sort of just expecting Gabby Williams to do everything, but the way mm. she sort of led that team alongside Gabby, I thought, well, if one of their best players is sitting out this tournament and they've still done this well, like imagine when she's back and, you know, maybe the next few generations of basketballers coming mm. through that French program. Like I just thought, wow, that's really impressive. And the same with Serbia. I thought I was a little disappointed in how they played. I thought they would be a lot stronger at uh, the World Cup. But even that last game, I forgot now, who did they play that helped Australia finish first? They played France. It was France. Yeah, I think Mm. they played. I think they had to beat France to help us. um, Yeah. Yeah. Watching that game, I thought, now this is good. Like this is what they needed to do earlier on. And I just think, yeah, they can make some, if they make a few adjustments, then I think they could be a lot stronger come the Olympics. Okay. Well, Fina, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, we could probably talk about the World Cup for hours on end, to be honest, because there was just so much that went on. Mm-hmm. So many people that we met, so many things that, that we got to see. But, yeah, look, it's been great having you here. It was great meeting you in real life. Actually, you know what the one thing is we didn't talk about? The pickup game. Oh, we didn't talk about the pickup game. <laughs> Should we give it? Let's give a quick shout-out to the pickup game. <laughs> yeah, quick shout-out for the pickup game. Yeah, so we held a pickup game for all of our Shooting the Breeze guests, uh, listeners, loyal fans from friends on Saturday the 24th at the University of Sydney Sports and Aquatic Centre And it was a true example of how basketball can bring people together from interstate and from international. It was, it was awesome. It was. We had, yeah, ballers from everywhere, of every age, of every skill level. 
it was great to be able to facilitate some new friendships and relationships just from that pickup game as well. So even being, you know, our good friend Kaz from who commentates the WBBL, she came all the way from the UK for the World Cup. She came to our pickup game and it allowed her a chance to meet Coach Liz Mills in person and for Liz then to have an opportunity to learn about Kaz's story and, you know, be tweet about her, how she's a trailblazer and that the English league mm. as well. Just just being able to facilitate those kind of meaningful connections and um, relationships just from a basketball game is like exactly the reason why I like pickup and why I stay involved with basketball. Yeah, I'd look for me personally, it was great meeting everybody. It was great meeting them in real life, meeting new people as well. And as a dad, I've got to say, I was really impressed with the way everybody just embraced Eliza coming in just to play. You know, she literally, she came from, she came from her, her league game, had, had a little break in the car on the way back and then straight into the game afterwards. She had a blast. She had a great time. Damn, I could. I'll be more than happy to make it an annual thing. I think. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, actually, it's not. It's not a bad idea. Sorry, what did you say, Fina? I said, "Damn, I wish I could have come and bowled out there." <laughs> oh Showed yeah, up. for sure. Well, you've got to come to the next one. Yeah, I'll be at the next. Yeah, one. we're gonna to have to start getting the invitation list together from now, so we can work out how big a facility we got to hire. Yeah, and it was funny. <laughs> I saw. I can't remember whether it was your Insta or your Twitter, but you said. Something about your ankle braces or something. And I thought, oh, she's being <laughs> serious. She wore the ankle braces. Because when you first oh, yeah. me, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to pack my basketball shoes and my ankle braces. And then I thought, what if I turn up and that's, like, way too serious? <laughs> but then I saw you wearing them and I was like, yes, go, girl. Yeah, absolutely. We had a couple of people wear mouth guards too. It was, oh um, you God. know, safety first. Safety it's first. Serious but see, my... My joints are, um, you know, not too far from being either rubber or dust, so I have to wear ankle guards. And yep. uh, I didn't take the time to take them off after the game and wore them to the pub. And the oh one time God. that Vic and Liz Mills were looking excellent in their matching leather jacket and I'm red-faced <laughs> in ankle guards and mismatching <laughs> uniforms. It goes on Twitter. <laughs> no shame. <laughs> Yeah, and there, there there are a lot of photos from that which we'll be seeing on the Shooting the Breeze website soon too. <laughs> okay, so look, Fina, thanks so much for joining us again. It was great. Jacinta, as always, it's fantastic doing the podcast with you and looking forward to the next big event that's going to be happening for basketball somewhere. And yeah. let's face it, it's only, what, another four weeks? We're straight into another next WNBL season, which yeah, we're not – we're all going to be looking forward to, particularly yeah. seeing LJ suit up for the Southside Flyers as well. I know. Can't get enough of it. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> well, okay. thank you both so much for having me on and making it such a lovely environment and just talking about basketball with like-minded people is so good and I think good for everyone to hear. Thanks so much, Fina. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.